Because it really was a systemic shock, that's how we know it's not going away. Remember the lessons of Bear Stearns, which we're going to continue to come back to over and over again. Got some new data on the, on the commercial banking system in the United States, which simply adds more confirmation that yes, what happened last month was indeed a systemic money and banking shock. And the data we have on commercial banking system is only a partial look, partial review at the scale and the proportion of this shock, which are already put it already in the 2008 class as if we, I mean, we suspected that all along and we suspect, we expected that the data that would come in would simply confirm our suspicions. What markets had been doing at the time, what markets are going to be doing, what markets are telling us to expect about the future. Not a whole lot that's good. Remember, the lessons of Bear Stearns, I'm gonna keep harping on these, I'm gonna keep coming back to them because now we're seeing them in every respect playing out. It was a systemic crisis in March, which means banks in the United States, as well as around the rest of the world, we'll get to them in the future, they're going to be raising their cash cushions. Boy, did they in March. They're going to be de-risking. Boy, did they in March. They're going to be hedging like hell. Yes, we knew from the very beginning that, yes, that happened in March too. But it's not just March it's the consequences that spill over that continue. As Bill Dudley said in 2008 after Bear Stearns, the lessons here are not going to be going away. So even if we don't hear about more bank failures, individual bank names that get into the news, that doesn't mean everything is fine. Because as the data continues to pile up in this direction, it tells us the banking system as a whole is behaving as if everything is not fine, and more importantly, as if everything will not be fine going forward, which again brings us back to what markets have said. They, they told us to expect something like this, and now it continues to unfold in exactly the same way. So let's put some spin on it. Let's put some, let's put some real details behind the banking crisis in March. So we got the Federal Reserve's H8 survey, or H8 results, which are about the commercial banking system compiled weekly from call reports. And we really need to break down the March crisis into a couple different, uh, couple different time periods. We start out with the initial stage, which is in the middle of March, immediately after SVB, and then the two weeks following that, which included the fall of Credit Suisse, and then the fallout from the middle of March. And we start with the middle of March, what we see is that that week right after SVB and First Republic and Signature Bank, all the, all the regional banks, the Fed's BTFP, what you see is that banks initially reacted exactly the way we'd expect. Huge cash cushion. They continued on with business as usual in their banking activities, but only for a limited time. And then after that initial reaction, that's when everything really started to go wrong because that's what always happens. You get hit with a shock and then we have to respond to the shock over time, which then causes the spillover and consequences. So what the data we have in HH, H8 shows us is that yes, there was a massive shock. And number two, banks are actually beginning to react to that shock in exactly the way that we would expect. The lessons of Bear Stearns are playing out right now as I speak, and that's not a good thing. And we'll get to all that, but first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, want to understand about curves, money, monetary system, finance, the real stuff, not the stuff that you see on TV, check us out, Eurodollar University memberships. You also got research subscriptions. I do a partnership with a research bundle with Markets Insider Pro. I contribute a daily briefing. 
where I brief you on the day's big macroeconomic numbers, as well as what's going on important in some specific curve or corner of the marketplace. I also do a daily uh, deep dive analysis where we dive deep into things like this. What are banks? What are banks doing? Why are banks doing what they're doing? And what is that going to mean for the future? That's my daily deep dive analysis, information on all those memberships, Markets Insider Pro, as well as daily deep dive, all of it at the at the Eurodollar University website, which is conveniently labeled Eurodollar.university. So we're going to start in the middle of March. There's a banking crisis that erupts for most people seemingly out of nowhere, but for anybody who's been watching the markets and the curves or this channel, you realize something bad was inevitably going to happen. And as we always say, seasonal bottlenecks, you've got to pay attention to the seasonal low points, which... March is a particularly a particularly nasty one that always seems to come up. I mean, Bear Stearns is there, and now we have you know, March 2020. Now we have March of 2023 to add to the list, too. So we have SVB. That's Friday, I believe, March 9th, I want to say. Um, then the weekend, the Fed comes out with the BTFP. And then the week after, remember the week after, we had historic levels of hedging. The Monday in particular, we had Eurodollar futures that were bid up by more than 100 basis points, which is something we've never seen. I mean, that's more than twice of what we ever seen had ever seen before. And the numbers from the H8 survey, they show us exactly why that was the case. They had commercial banks in the U.S. reported an increase of cash of $403.6 billion. This is the week of March 15th, just the week of March 15th. A $400 billion increase in cash. Where did that cash come from? That's another story entirely. At the same time, bank credit, which is securities they own as well as loans that they'll make, bank credit went up by $53.3 billion because in the initial week after, it was sort of business as usual. Not that banks wanted it to be business as usual, but because it takes time to sort of react to even the short, to short run uh, problems like what we saw in the middle of March. So bank credit went up by 53.3 billion. Lots of cash came in from mostly non-banks, I would imagine. Uh, banks sold a little bit of uh, MBS and US treasuries during the week of March 15th, but mostly they increased their loans and leases, mostly loans by 66.2 billion. So raise a lot of cash, as much cash as you possibly can, and start to think about doing something, but not actually taking those steps of de-risking. One of the reasons they raised so much cash, as we know, massive deposit flight. During the week of March 15th, deposits declined by $174.4 billion. Enormous decrease, historic level of decrease. The, they replaced that deposit flight with $543 billion in borrowings. Again, doesn't say from whom. We know it wasn't the Federal Reserve. At least most of that wasn't the Federal Reserve. We know a lot of it came from federal home loan banks, but a lot of it probably came from private sources like repo, although that doesn't don't really get a whole lot of data there either. Net due to foreign offices, that increased by $76 billion, which means U.S. banks were borrowing from their uh, branches overseas. Other liabilities declined by $42.6 billion, which is, um, that's probably derivatives, but we don't know. They always call them either or miscellaneous, uh, a funding shortfall there. So total liabilities increased by $400 billion because of all of that short-run borrowing. So banks 
in the initial aftermath of SVB, banks in the United States, again, this is just U.S. banks, this is not global banks, U.S. banks responded by borrowing every last dollar they possibly could, half a trillion in borrowings, more than half a trillion in borrowings, raising a bunch of cash to pay for um, not just the massive deposit, outf deposit outflow, but to really to build up the cash cushion. Lessons of Bear Stearns. So right away, we've got the cash cushion being built up as the private marketplace begins to seize up. But the real interesting stuff is, the, is what happened after that. So this is the weeks of March 22 and March 29. The last two weeks in March, SVB has gone down. Now we have Credit Suisse that has been merged with UBS, which the Swiss government even says if it wasn't for that merger, Credit Suisse was going to fail too. So the spillover was actually worse in the 22nd and the 29th, those two weeks, than it was on March 15th. So banks in the week of March 15th, massive cash cushion. They, they raised that, but then now they start to do everything else. Total assets. These are the, we're gonna, I'm going to combine the two weeks here. So this is the last two weeks in March. Total assets declined by $219.6 which is a large decline. And you'd think that was... Well, they're paying back the amount of cash that they borrowed. I mean, they borrowed more than half a trillion. Maybe they should start paying that back because this is a whole big nothing, right? The Fed says everything's fine. It comes out two Sundays in a row. I've got new programs that change the dollar swaps. We don't need any more crisis type of activities. But no, assets declined in the second half of March in a huge way, not because banks were repaying or, or drawing down their cash balances. In fact, their cash assets were only 19.2 billion lower uh, during these two weeks than they had been in the week of March 15th. So they held on to their cash balance, which less than the Bear Stearns build up that liquidity margin. Uh, we don't have any information about collateral, but we know that's taking place too. So in the aftermath of SVB, mid-March, Credit Suisse, massive buildup of cash cushion, and they're holding on to it. Um, Fed funds and repo assets increased by $62 billion. That's banks who have spare cash, who are confident they're not going to be suffering a deposit run, redistributing that cash in the repo market or in federal funds, most likely repo, which meant that that's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to have more, more of that than, than what took place. But those, ca those banks who have ex excess cash, who have a relatively decent balance sheet, relatively speaking, they're redistributing the cash that they're able to get, which is sort of what's supposed to happen, but not to, not enough. Uh, other assets went up by about $50 billion. I think that has to do with uh, derivative swap financing. That means that, again, like repo and federal funds going up, so that's about $100 billion in more redistribution because there's a lot of cash available. You think about deposits that were taken from these regional banks that were then redeposited because deposits don't leave the system. Not, it's not, this is not like the 1930s when, when uh, individual depositors hoarded cash. Instead, the deposits just mean that uh, these ledger balances are redistributed from one place to another. So as deposits leave these troubled regional banks, they end up at other banks that are not as troubled and then they get redistributed from there. That's what's supposed to happen, and it didn't happen as much as it should. So about 100 billion, a little bit over 100 billion uh, there, almost 110 billion. As I said, cash went down by 19 billion in the final two weeks, so banks holding tons of credit, but this is the big one. Bank credit. 
that's loans and leases and securities, fell by 310.9 billion. These are all seasonally adjusted figures, so take that into account. 310.9 billion in the final two weeks. That's an enormous decline. A lot of it was banks selling securities because they want to, you know, they want to be able to de-risk. They want to be able to maintain their cash cushion. If I've borrowed X number of dollars from the wholesale market, I need to pay them back at some point. So I need to get my balance sheet ready for the time when I need to repay these short-term borrowings because I can't wait for the last minute because I can't depend upon the short-term market to roll everything over in the way that I want. So if I've got short-term funding now, I've got to get ready for that rollover. And if I'm not confident about the rollover, I need to do something on my balance sheet to get myself ready. And what banks did is what they always do. They de-risked $206.2 billion in fewer securities. That was mostly banks selling mortgage bonds, MBS. $142.3 billion were mortgage bonds. $41 billion were non-mortgage bonds, likely U.S. Treasuries. But they're mostly selling a huge amount of NBS uh, because those are the liquid assets. Those are the assets that they can sell um, to raise cash, to further raise cash and repay short-term borrowings. There was also $22.5 billion in other securities sold, non-MBS securities, probably corporate bonds, maybe some riskier stuff. How much of that was fire sale? Not likely a whole lot, but maybe there was some there, forced sales, fire sales in it. But either way, $206.2 billion decline in bank credit is just enormous, further, con further confirming, yes, this was a systemic crisis, and even more problematic is that banks are responding to that systemic shock and exactly the pro-cyclical, cutting back balance sheet, de-risking, lesson, lessons of Bear Stearns ways that we don't want to see. As far as loans and leases, those fell by an enormous $104.7 billion in the final two weeks of March. $68.1 billion was commercial and industrial loans. $35.3 billion in commercial real estate loans. But it doesn't really matter. Banks cutting back lending, $104 billion in two weeks. That's enormous. In fact, you don't see that except in some of the worst cases. Um, so the week of March 22... That's about the same as the week of March 18, 2009, which is, which would have made it the fourth, or did make it the fourth largest in decades, fourth largest weekly decline in bank credit and uh, specifically loans and leases in decades. You got, I mean, March of 2007, which was when this whole subprime, that whole subprime mortgage thing came about. September 19th of 2001. But the difference here is that in September of 2001, banks and the marketplace knew that was a one-off event. Once they got through the initial period and nothing seemed to break down, they could go back to business as usual. Where this is like 2007, as well as we see in some of the other ones in 2008, this was a systemic issue. This is the start of something, not the end of something. Oh, you see it again, the amount of cash that was raised, it's just absolutely astronomical. Um, on the liability side, over the final two weeks in March, we saw deposits decline by $236.7 billion. Uh, most of that was in the week of March 22, that was $172 billion, but still $64 billion deposit decline the week of March 29th. So you wonder why banks are holding on to their cash cushion and still and continuing to de-risk their portfolios at the same time, hedging collateral runs and everything else. Um, the level of borrowings only increased by another $2.6 but they had already gone up a massive amount the week of March 15th. So again, 
The shock comes, banks hang on to all of their emergency tactics because they realize this is not just a one-off event like September 2001. Plus another 51.5 billion increase in other liabilities, which again, I think that's a lot of derivatives, but we'll never really know for sure. And so the uh, decline in deposits, I mean, that's both two weeks, March 15th and March 22nd. You didn't see anything like this in, in uh, 2008 because 2008 was a different sort of crisis. Again, it's a 2008 style scenario. It's not a repeat of 2008. Um, what we saw in March of 2023, also much bigger than anything in 2020, because again, that was a different kind of crisis there too. Uh, and maybe most of all borrowings, just uncharted territory, massive amount of borrowings. Where did that borrowing come from? A lot of money market funds, a lot of other stuff, um, emergency type of situation, emergency types of funding, because banks realized this was really a severe issue. And that's the overriding the message here from all of this at age eight. Again, the lessons of Bear Stearns, they're all over the data. They're all over the markets, just as we said they would be, just as markets were predicting they would be. High levels of cash cushion, which we can also assume and infer collateral cushions too, which makes for problems down the road. De-risking, huge drop in bank credit massive amounts of bank credit, not just securities and MBS, but also loans and leases, which that's going to have a major impact down the road. And of course, the hedging, the hedging, the hedging, hedging, which we've seen. This is the reason why central banks around the world have already, like India and Australia's, have said, whoa, we're going to hike, we're going to stop our, our hiking, we're going to put the pause button here, because we're not really sure how this is going to play out. But we are really sure. Central bankers and economists may not be sure, but the markets are sure, and we're relatively sure because we saw this happening. We saw it coming. We knew they were going to do this. We knew this was a systemic shock, and therefore the consequences would not be left behind in the middle of March. As March ended, banks were still in an emergency mode. So all the data we got from the H8 over the last, last three weeks of March, systemic shock, systemic crisis, lessons of Bear Stearns, and those are going to continue to happen. And those are going to continue to be a problem moving forward. That's not what the data says. The data confirms the first part, but we know the second part because it's just human nature. It's the way markets work. It's the way the system works. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you to Eurodollar University members as well as Eurodollar University subscribers and Markets Insider Pro subscribers too. And until next time, take care.